Jesus' baptism by John encourages us by declaring the beginning and the nature of the work of our salvation. If you would uh, join me in prayer and be ready to read from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Father in heaven, we come now thanking you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy, even as we have already sung about the glories of your saving work in our lives. And now as we come to this moment in John's gospel at the very beginning, as Jesus comes to be baptized by John, teach us what you would have us to know. Encourage us as we read the words of John, your word, declaring the beginning and nature of Jesus' work for our salvation. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. The inauguration of a president of the United States every four years is a national event with worldwide implications. The entire day is given over to ceremony, to tradition, to festivities that last well in to the night to mark the beginning of a new term of office of our president. And one of the benefits of this inauguration and all that's involved, including the oaths that are taken, is the fact that in our form of government there is a peaceful transfer of power that results in the stability of our government system. Today's text covers an inauguration event uh, far greater and with cosmic implications than the inauguration of any earthly leader. This event marked the beginning of the ministry of Jesus as the Christ. It was not about the peaceful transfer of power, but about the power of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit breaking forth in human history to accomplish salvation for sinners. And our goal today is to look first at Jesus' servant vocation or calling to identify with Israel and represent sinful Israel. Second, we'll look at Jesus' commissioning or anointing by the Holy Spirit for this work. And then finally, those Words of God the Father spoken from heaven, approving of His Son, Messiah. So let's first look at the calling or the vocation of God the Son. What is your vocation? We often think of a vocation in terms of a profession, which certainly it is. But a vocation can be whatever God calls us So, for example, God calls us, yes, to a profession, an honorable profession, but he also calls us to be a spouse, to be a parent, to be a child, to be a friend, to be a church member, to be a student, 
uh, to serve in a particular ministry. God calls us to all sorts of vocations. And John's baptism of Jesus was the beginning or the inauguration of his vocation, his calling to be the promised Christ, Messiah, the, the one for whom John prepared the way and the one who will be the Redeemer of Israel. Was Jesus' baptism also the time that he accepted this call, this calling? No, and thankfully, no. The plan of salvation was not something that our shown God kind of did on the fly as human history was rolling along. In eternity past, before anything was created, the, the council of the Trinity took place where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit came together and agreed on the Father's plan, the Father's plan to give His Son, a, the Son agreeing to give His life to accomplish all that's necessary for God's people to be redeemed, and the Holy Spirit agreeing to come and to apply the, the finished work of the Son to the church, and then to empower the church to be the people of God. It's important that we understand that Jesus coming and submitting to John's baptism was, was not accepting the call. That took place in eternity past. Rather, it was the inauguration or the beginning of his earthly ministry as Messiah. And in this baptism, we not only see this beginning, but we also see the nature of his work on display. His servant vocation re required a true human nature. In other words, in other words, it required this, this servant of God, Messiah, to identify fully with humanity in order to be their representative. But he also required a true divine nature as well. We see this even in Mark. As last week, we considered uh, chapter 1 and verse 1 of Mark. And there, Mark begins by pointing to Jesus' divine nature. Jesus, Mark says, is the Son of God, the, the second person of the Trinity, the only begotten of the Father. It is this one that comes fully divine to fulfill this calling and his divine nature was essential to redeem God's people from their sin for his sacrifice needed to be of infinite value and efficacy to redeem an infinite number of sinners thus Jesus has a true divine nature and that is necessary but Mark also shows us that Jesus is the one and the one person Jesus both with a divine nature, but also a human nature. From, from last week, you may, you may remember, we consider Jesus was the one to whom John pointed, and, and John said, I am not worthy to untie his sandals. In verse 7 of chapter 1, I mean, like every other person, Jesus wore sandals. It's somewhat of a, of a reference to the fact that Jesus walked on earth. He had a human nature. Today, our text affirms Jesus' humanity by, by describing him as the one who came from 
Nazareth of Galilee, verse 9. I mean, he has a hometown like you and I have a hometown. He was born. And these facts point to our Lord's true human nature that he took at the incarnation. Paul in Galatians 4 is helpful, where he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. The Son of God condescended to earth and took a true human nature. His human nature, likewise, was necessary for him to fulfill his mission as Messiah to redeem God's people. The writer of Hebrews teaches this. As we look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus is shown to identify and to represent Israel just in these opening verses of Mark. Look at Mark 1.5. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized. The many going out to be baptized. John's baptism was preparatory, pointing to Jesus to come, pointing to the fact that people who received John's baptism needed to prepare their heart to be repentant for the forgiveness that would come in Messiah. And then we read in verse 9, not many, but one in particular came. Painting a picture for us of the one, the one true Israelite, identifying with Israel and representing Israel in John's, by being baptized by John. It's interesting just to ask the question, wait a minute, why were the Israelites being baptized by John? Uh, the late R.C. Sproul said uh, that John's baptism was innovative. And it was. Prior to John, only Gentiles would go through some ritual washing or cleansing or, for all practical purposes, baptism as they converted to Judaism. But Israelites, prior to John, did not undergo such a ritual cleansing. With John's ministry came God's command that the Jews were to come and to submit to a baptism of repentance to prepare for the forgiveness that Messiah would bring. Obviously, the Jewish leaders looked at John's baptism and viewed it as something that was heretical because, in effect, what John was signifying is that the Jew was, was treated no differently or the Gentile was treated no differently than the Jew. And, of course, the religious leaders did not go for that at all as there was a definite barrier between Jew and Gentile. Gentiles unclean, Jews clean. And here we come to verse 9 where, where Jesus, as the true Israelite, submitted to baptism, not, not because he was sinful, not because he, he needed to repent or to prepare for repentance. He was absolutely sinless perfect. But yet, 
John's baptism shows that as a true Israelite, he was identifying with those who were in desperate need of forgiveness, who really did need to prepare and to receive cleansing that would come only through Messiah. Matthew's account's helpful. As we look at chapter 3 and verse 14, when, according to Matthew, when Jesus came to be baptized by John, John said, no way. We read, I need to be baptized by you, said John. And do you come to me? John refused to baptize Jesus. But then Jesus quickly turned him in verse 15 when Jesus said, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And John consented and baptized Jesus in Matthew's account. And what Jesus was saying here is that it was necessary for him to fulfill his mission as Messiah, to identify with Israel. And part of, the, part of that identification was being obedient to every requirement of God's law, including the call of Israel to come and prepare by being baptized by John. Jesus said, John, I need to be baptized by you because I must fulfill all righteousness. I must fulfill all of God's commands. He identified by doing what every Israelite was required to do, except he obeyed perfectly something Israel and something you and I are are unable to do. And thus he identified with them to be Israel's perfect representative, to to be their substitute, to die their death, to pay their debt, to satisfy God's justice on their behalf due to their sin, not his sin, and to take the penalty they deserved in order to redeem them. Jesus shows in the baptism of John that he fully identified with Israel being the true Israelite, that he would represent them on the cross. Jesus' baptism is very much a beautiful declaration that causes us to hope in Jesus. In, John, in the baptism of Jesus by John, the words of the Apostle Paul come to mind. For our sake, he, Jesus, or for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus' calling or vocation as the Christ, as Messiah was inaugurated when he was baptized by John. And in that act of baptism, we also see Jesus identifying with sinners in order to represent them. We see the nature of his redeeming work. God the Son, in eternity past, 
agreed to give his life to redeem God's people. And second, we see God the Son is commissioned or anointed to fulfill this unique role, the, the most unique vocation of any vocation, by God the Holy Spirit. Now, we're very familiar with men that are called and elected to serve as elders and deacons, and those who are newly called and elected to serve, we set them apart by ordaining them. When individuals from our church go to the mission field, be it a short-term mission trip or as career missionaries, we typically set them apart for that missionary activity in a commissioning service. And we see a similar thing here, though not exactly. We, we see our Lord being set apart, uh, being commissioned. Some have actually referred to this as a type of, of ordination. Certainly it is an anointing set apart to this most unique work and calling to be the Christ Messiah. What is interesting in, in this particular verse, verse 10, is that Mark uses a word that he will use some 41 times throughout the gospel. It is a word that is used to show something significant is taking place here. It is, it is to highlight a unique event. And what is that word in verse 10? It is that word immediately. We read that as Jesus was baptized by John and then he came up out of the water. We're not going to deal with coming up out of the water. Immediately, Mark says, that the heavens opened The ordination of a man to office, the, the, the commissioning of a missionary to a field of, of service, the, the inauguration of, of a president may have implications to a church, to a, a field of ministry, and to a nation, and even to a world. But the heavens opening up at Jesus' baptism clearly show that something cosmic is going on here of profound significance immediately the heavens open up. The actual word there, and we see this word used in Isaiah 64, 1, is the heavens are torn apart. And when this is used in the Old Testament, the heavens being torn apart or rend open, it is to indicate God breaking forth powerfully in human history to deliver his people. And at Jesus' baptism, this, this beautiful metaphor and picture of God's power in delivering and redeeming his people is front and centers. The heavens opening up testify to Jesus, the Christ, being the deliverer of God's people. He is indeed heaven come down for the purpose of deliverance. The prophet Isaiah from 
John, uh, Dan read earlier from Isaiah 42, that first verse refers to the, the Holy Spirit anointing Messiah. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Likewise, in Isaiah 61.1, a similar anointing of the Spirit on God's servant. The Spirit of the Lord, God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and, to, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. The heavens open up testifying to Jesus is the one through whom God will deliver his people. He is Messiah, the servant of the Lord. Also in Mark 10, we see this interesting identification of the Holy Spirit with a dove. And Mark may be combining the rabbinical teaching, identifying Israel more with the dove, rarely identifying the Holy Spirit with the dove. And John may be thinking about the Spirit's creative work in Genesis chapter 1 where he hovered over the waters, that creation for God to bring about this, this new creation. And combining those two together, Dr. Lane writes that the descent of the Spirit as a dove indicates that he, that is Jesus, is the unique representative of the new Israel created through the Spirit. God is indicating that he's doing something new here with regards to redeeming and creating a new people through Christ. Jesus' commissioning by the Spirit ushers in a new age of the Spirit. Mark distinguishes John's baptism, who's baptized with water, to Jesus' baptism, who would come and baptize with the Spirit. See that in verse 8. The age of the Spirit is shown elsewhere in Scripture. In fact, the two passages that, or the one passage that Dan read in Isaiah 61, I also read, reference the Spirit anointing the servant of the Lord. Joel, in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28, speaks of a day coming when the Spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh. Jesus comforted his disciples as Derek uh, preached Concern, uh, in, in his uh, farewell discourse uh, series, Jesus comforted his disciples with the promise of the Spirit, John 14. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we are told there that the Holy Spirit will come and empower the church to go and witness the good news of the gospel to the nations. Then, of course, in Acts 2, we actually see that prophecy in Joel 2 being fulfilled and the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church, establishing and formalizing the church and empowering the church to be God's faithful people. Jesus' baptism declares that he is the redeemer. He is anointed for that task. And a new age will come, an age of the Spirit and that means for you and me, as Paul says in Galatians 5, we need to seek the Spirit that we might keep in step with Him. Jesus 
Jesus' mission, his calling was inaugurated by the baptism. At the baptism, we see that he was anointed to fulfill this calling. And thirdly, we find that God the Father approves of his Son. Now, some in our day believe that there are many roads to heaven. However, Jesus makes exclusive claim as the only way to the Father and heaven. When he said, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And at Jesus' inauguration, at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, God the Father declares indeed Jesus, his Son, is the exclusive and only way to him. The one who had just been baptized, inaugurating his call, and commissioned by the Holy Spirit is the unique Son of God. In verse 11, you are my beloved Son. And here this may be an allusion to Psalm chapter 2 and verse 7, where, where there the psalmist declares Messiah as you are my Son. And again to Isaiah 42, where Messiah is the servant anointed by the Spirit to carry out that work. Jesus did not become the Son of God at baptism. God declared him, you are my beloved Son. Jesus, Jesus is identified as God the Father's only begotten Son, the second person of the Trinity. His eternal Sonship is declared here at his baptism so that Israel could be renewed in their sonship the eternal son of God the natural son voluntarily set his rights aside and humbled himself to condescend to take a human nature at the incarnation to live a perfect life as he did, as the ideal Israelite. To represent sinners on the cross and dying, a substitutionary and atoning death. To be buried, his body raised, bodily resurrection, ascending back to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 details this Jesus condescending to humility and then being exalted to the state of exaltation. And he did all of that, that we would be the sons and daughters of the living God. With you I am well pleased, verse 11. God the Father confirms his approval of his Son and his mission as the Christ to make orphaned sinners into sons and daughters. I want us to see the great encouragement in this text this morning. The Holy Trinity is, is declaring <laughs> that sinners are saved and saved through the second, per saved through the work of the triune God. 
the Son's call as the Christ was to save God's people by identifying with them in order that he might represent them in order to atone for their sins. The heavens were torn open with cosmic implications as the Spirit anoints and empowers the Son for this work. And the Father's voice echoes from the throne room, I approve. What an encouragement for us to see here this Trinitarian drama unfold, that we would have absolute certainty of the power and efficacy of the saving work of God in the lives of his people, that indeed Jesus has a servant's vocation to save us. When we despair, when we doubt, when we fear, when we feel like giving up, when we feel the load of sin, when we try to live in our own strength, see Jesus baptized by John, showing forth his identification with us in order to represent us. See the heavens ripped open and the Spirit descending to anoint Jesus to be the Savior and hear the Father's approval of his Son whose mission is to make sinners into sons and daughters. See Jesus, the one who takes our place on the cross. That's, that's what's shown forth here in John's baptism of Jesus. Be encouraged. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit agreed together in eternity past to save sinners to the uttermost in order that they might be the the adopted sons and daughters of the living God. And the Apostle Paul, I think, summarizes this beautifully in Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. We've read that, now the rest. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, I'm a father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Jesus' baptism by John encourages us by declaring the beginning and nature of his work on our behalf. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. And Father, we thank you for his work on our behalf. Father, we pray and I pray that if there is anyone here today that might be questioning their salvation, that you would be pleased to draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ in saving faith. Father, we thank you that indeed we have assurance of salvation. Father, thank you that you call us to yourself, that you enable us to see our sin, see our need for a Savior, to see Jesus is the Savior, and you give us all that we need, the gift of faith, 
to turn from sin and to turn to him. You unite us to Christ. Father, remind us of the certainty of your saving work and encourage us to continually seek Jesus. We pray and ask all of these things in his name. Amen.